So good morning everybody. Welcome. Amazing worship this morning uh, in the presence of God. And uh, as we come to this new series, um, the Apostles' Creed, I don't know if you've ever come across it, but I think it's such an apt series to follow our journey through the book of Acts. And so as you know, we've been journeying through the book of Acts, and it's been amazing to see how God birthed the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. And remember, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit who would guide these people into all truth. And so the followers of the way, as Christians were called back then, were found themselves in this environment where Jesus had ascended, um, the apostles were teaching because they had spent their time with him. And he had poured out his life into these apostles. And so they were the deposit, the initial deposit of the faith in a sense. And remember Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be teaching us and, and guiding us into all truth. Remember when he said that to his, his apostles? And so when we come to Acts chapter 28, we come to the end of the book of Acts, the story of the early church. But there's a movement called, and I'm not... I'm not that, uh, uh, advocating for this movement or take this disclaimer for what, it, what it's worth. But there's a movement called Acts 29. And I like the message behind that. Because it says that God is continuing to build His church. And the Holy Spirit is continuing to work among His people. And Wellspring is one of the expressions of that. And so as we meet here and as we sing our, our worship and as we... Um, worship God. It's not like we just a, a disconnected fresh expression. We stand in a line that is centuries old, um, thousands of years. And so as we come to the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed dates back to the fourth century. Um, it, it probably grew out of the, the old Roman Creed. Um, of the second century, and, and the purpose that it serves is to distill, as you see, distill the core teachings of the Christian faith. And so, and so this was written about 394, after all of the, all of the apostles um, had already died. They died uh, the deaths of martyrs, I'm sure as you know, and and when this was written, we were in the age of the church fathers. So those who the apostles then poured their lives into. And so they um, got together, they, they put together the canon, then they, they put together this apostles' creed, and all for the purpose. So 394, the Roman Empire was still in power at that time, desperately hanging on to their power, right? trying to stamp out any uprising or anything like that. I think we must always remember the context. Um, and then here is this new faith kind of budding and blossoming and God preserving a remnant that would perpetuate the core teachings. And so remember when Steve spoke about and Neil jokingly referred to pen and pencil and blood? So, so we won't require you to sign in blood this morning, but... Uh, but the Apostles' Creed is one of those things that we can consider written in blood. It's the core of the Christian faith. This is what we hold to. And so as we 
journey along, I think it's very appropriate that this forms the foundation of us as a new church as well. Come through Acts, the, the, the way we come through the Apostles' Creed. So over the next few weeks, we'll be preaching into every facet of this and, and just helping us return back to basics, right? I think it's always valuable to return to the foundations. And so this morning, I'm going to call on Mina, um, and she's going to um, speak into the Apostles' Creed and just understand that as, as we preach through this, that we are aligning our hearts and our minds and our faith with um, generations, thousands of generations of believers, Christ followers. And uh, I'd like to pray for Mina as she comes up and prepares. And Petri will also make a guest appearance. <laughs> we do everything together with my husband. That's hey, why he has hey. to be here too. There we go. <laughs> if I suffer, he suffers. No. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Mina. Thank you for um, just her heart and her commitment to you. Thank you that as she has prepared to lead us and to uh, speak us, Lord God, through this Apostles' Creed, just this portion. I pray that our hearts would be open, Lord God. Thank you for what your Holy Spirit has ministered to her. I pray that we would be open to receive and to learn and to grow and to mature as we just consolidate these foundational truths. Thank you, Lord, as she speaks. May she speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know, I'm Minna, and my um, accent is because I am from Finland. Even if I have been here for 18 years, and people say, how come you still have an accent and you've been here for 18 years? Come to Finland for 18 years and we'll check your accent. <laughs> but lovely to, to be here and thank you for allowing me to um, do my baby steps in preaching. I really uh, feel humbled and honored that um, I can speak to you this morning. So we are going to be focusing on the Apostles' Creed for the next seven weeks. And um, the portion that I have today is, is that, that first, first part. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then Petri will come and do a little portion at one point about Almighty Creator God. And um, the picture that I've attached here is from a hike that I did earlier this week and um, it's called the Scarp River Canyon, uh, 70 kilometers long. It meanders north of Springbok and um, being out in that glorious looking rock formations and just sleeping in a tent under the skies and um, just this really uh, amazing, incredible experience of marveling at God's beauty that he has created for us on this planet. And it was a faith-building experience for me, and I'm hoping that as we dive into the creed, that it will be a faith-building experience for, for all of us to remind ourselves of those blood issues. And um, so before we go into the message, why don't we all stand and, and just read the creed together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
And it's interesting that the Bible itself doesn't use the word Trinity, but it's still the most unique and defining, amazing revelation of who our Almighty Creator actually is. Not just a God, but an infinite being existing in eternity as three co-equal infinite persons of the same essence yet distinct. And also the fact is that one of the major factor, factors that this, this distincts Christianity from the two other monotheistic religions, the Judaism and, and Islam, is that we believe in uh, the Trinity. And of course there is the major difference of salvation by grace also in Christianity. And so often Trinity is a misunderstood concept, so it's useful for us to zoom in a bit on this. So um, something that I remember years ago hearing was that if you look at a person, um, the Trinity is something maybe that could be described as looking at a person from the front, and then looking at the same person from the side, and looking at the same person from the back. And that's three different views, but it's the same person. Or that um, I can have three different roles as a person. I can be a friend, I can be a counselor, I can be a granddaughter to my grandmom. So, so in that sense, that's a slight little picture of what the Trinity could be understood as. And, and the Trinity has come about in ba based on a biblical text. And I'm going to pull out some, some scriptures. The first one, Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting here in the Finnish Bible, it actually, Jesus says, go and um, make, my, make me disciples, make my disciples of all nations. So he's calling the disciples his, but he wants them to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Jesus is proclaiming that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then also if you look at the Second Corinthians passage, that's, Paul ends in a greeting where the Trinity is acknowledged, where he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And Peter also uses this format of the Trinity in 1 Peter 1. He says, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So, so these scriptures testify to the fact that God is a triune God. He is three persons, one being. And Athanasius, who was a chief defender of Christian teaching in the 4th century, he explained the mystery of the Trinity by saying, we worship one God who is triune, and a trinity which is one God, without confusing the personas with one another and without shattering their divine essence. So the holy trinity is not possible to divide. There are not three gods but one. First Corinthians 8.4 says there is no God but one. Each person in the trinity owns being God completely, also the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 2.9 says for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son, and we see this in John 14, 16, where Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And in John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, which is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So you can see how they work in a triangle, each supporting one another and fulfilling that um, mission and ministry that each, each persona has in the Godhead. So in, in Psalms 2, 7, it says that in eternity I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. So we get to know the Father through the work of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So as we remind ourselves of the triune nature of God, before going into more detail about the character of God himself, we see that we start our creed by saying, I believe. So I'd like to unpack that a little bit. What does it mean when you say, I believe? Now, we can use the word believe in many contexts. You know, I believe in this workout. I think in the course of my life, I've believed about in about five or six different workouts. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that was worth it, but yeah. Um, you can say, I believe in this technology. I believe in Petri's laptop that it's going to take me through this presentation. <laughs> and, and I believe this to be the best choice you can say with when you choose an ice cream. And, or you can say, I believe you, but the creed in today, what's the, what it stands for when you, the synonyms for I believe is to have faith or to be confident. 
to accept or to conclude, be convinced, to affirm, to think, to be certain and to trust, postulate, have no doubt. That's what it means when you say, I believe. Even, you know, another source said that it means to have confidence in the truth. But that's what it is when you say, I believe. And then the opposite of believing would be distrust, ignore, reject, refute. And so many people today believe a certain set of facts about God. And in some cases, the facts may be completely orthodox. However, if they have never committed themselves to God, if they have not trusted him, then they do not have faith or biblical belief in him. So biblical faith or biblical belief is is never simply giving assent to a certain set of facts, but biblical faith is trust and commitment that result in a change of behavior. So if we look at that James scripture there, that's James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons believe that God exists, and they may even know more about God than people do, but they do not have faith in him. So faith and belief are used interchangeably, but however, the New Testament does recognize that people can have false faith or incomplete faith, as we see in this passage. And the difference is not between the two words, but between the concepts of mental agreement and wholehearted commitment. So in modern usage, belief often refers to mental agreement and faith refers to the wholehearted commitment. And one should then almost say with the Apostles' Creed that I have faith in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. So then, what is the nature of God? The Creed said Almighty, for example, and Creator, and also Father. And I remember when I was three years old and uh, my parents had just started the mission work in Ethiopia. We'd been there for about a year and I heard that my grandfather had died in Finland. And I have a vivid, vivid memory in my prayer at night saying to God, please, can you send my grandfather a hello? And I'm not sure what my three-year-old mind was thinking that God was like, but it seems like I thought he was someone who hears and cares. So what is God like? What are his characteristics? And we can find many descriptions in the Bible, and it could that some of those characteristics speaks to us differently in different times in our life. In, you know, sometimes some, one aspect of God's personality is more relevant to us than another. And um, depending on, you know, what our personality is, someone might draw on the strength of God and some might, someone might draw on the generosity of God or on the, on the kindness of God. Um, but for a few minutes, I'm going to let Petri come and talk about Creator God the Almighty One. Uh, those are aspects that I know that are close to his heart. And we'll see whether he can speak without um, lots of tears. Some tears. <laughs> Thanks, Mina. Do you want to move to the side this week? So take your whole, the whole laptop with you yeah. and move to the side. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to show us stuff, you want to see. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, Mina, you have to give me the eye when I have to stop, right? So, so. <laughs> But but indeed I'll so so we'll we'll go over together with me a few few things on God's um, characteristics and who he really is 
Uh, but I'll, I'll just, just a, a few minutes on those first lines. And remember that God Almighty, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And that really is, is the reason why it's there, is that it, it zooms out, right? It's, it's, as, it's answering the very question that humanity has always asked. I mean, I get asked that all the time, and everybody gets does. Why are we here? What is this thing? And uh, that's what it says. God created everything. You see that in, in uh, Genesis, Genesis 1. And then with, with like a, almost like an enormous twist on this thing, when you start the New Testament, then we see that in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. So this is Jesus. So there again, just like me now saying, the Trinity is wrapped into that creation. So, you know, you might think that it was only God who created that, and, and then it all just floats floats around and we're here. But actually, the Son was in that creation as well. So through Jesus, through the Son, everything was created. Just just one word on the, on the, um, the word creates in that Genesis. That, that, that first verse, God created, it's a Hebrew word, bara. If I remember correctly, my <laughs> years ago, Bereshit, Parilohim, bara, etashamayin, etaharets. And that bara word is, 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 it's only used when God creates. In English or in other languages, there, there's that same word elsewhere, but in Hebrew, actually, it's only when God creates, from out of nothing totally creates, like something totally new. And this is, I think this is the main concept that I really want us to try to think that often we, we have, and people have this concept that yeah, yeah, God is like a super powerful being, being somewhere out there. But we still have the picture that he's somehow in this universe system, and he's not. And I tell you this, and this is where uh, we won't have time, but the universe is amazing. It's just an amazingly large. How it works, it's magnificent. The, the time scales, the, the, the space, the, the, the distances, you know, how it all works, how we, you know, every atom in us has been created inside a star, and, uh, you know, we, and, and, and you know, in, in the, you know, we, how human life and our bodies are somehow meshed together with stellar evolution and galactic evolution and how it works purposefully and to, you know, just amazingly, you know, the plants that Peter studies, all of those, we, we, we just live this amazing system. But it's still a system and God created that and it's outside of that, right? And um, so really what the beginning part of, of that Creed says is that there's a first reason. So when I do my, you know, work and study how the universe works, there's a cause and effect, and you can explain how things come about. We can explain how life uh, comes about, and all of that. And there's always a reason, reason, reason. But ultimately, you come to the first reason. Primus motor is the philosophical word for it. The first cause, the first reason. And that's what God is. The Almighty God. The very reason for our existence, and that's what the, that's where the creed starts from. So that's like really mind-blowingly big, big. Uh, uh, thing to to comprehend. Just a couple of uh, verses on. So before, <coughs> yeah. So Isaiah says, "Before me, there will be no God, nor will there be." And it's kind of, and still, when you say it like that, it still feels like quite small. Like okay, God, another God, da da da. 
But really, what we have to get into our heads is the concept that God is really outside of all of that. We just, essentially, the, the relationship is like an author and characters in a book, right? So it's not the same because, you know, we have free will, so we're not, you know, that kind of characters in a book. But, but think of what is the relation between the book and the author. Uh, and one point then, it's not only created, but also sustained. So I love this Hebrews, Hebrews uh, first chapter verse. He is the radiance of speaking of Jesus. He is the radiance of his glory, of the Father, and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. One other, I remember one other uh, English translation says, sustains the universe, which really again speaks to my heart. It's not only that God created the system, but really everything, physical laws, chemical laws, everything, if God's hand wouldn't be there, we wouldn't exist. It wouldn't come it wouldn't continue. The whole existence is actually because of God's sustaining power. Okay. So, oh yeah. And while studying, so just a short quote that while studying the universe and the Bible, both of them, they reveal these characteristics of God, which will come to you in a moment. So I have some, some words over there, eternal, limitless, I'm changing all of that. And um, from Deuteronomy, he's the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. Faithful God who does no wrong, upright, and just he is. And I think that's another major point that I want to make. That God's characteristics, these amazing characteristics, are actually the very definitions of these things. When we say that God is good, it's not like, you know, good is a concept over there, and God is good. But it's the other way around. What we consider as good or powerful, it's actually the definition of God. And that's why we say that something is good or beautiful. What's beautiful in this word, world, and there's a lot of beautiful things in this world, that's actually, that's when we see God. The very definition of good, beauty, anything good in this universe, that's God. We call it that because of God's nature. Now stop with this. So, some other day, maybe <laughs> we'll talk more about the amazingness of the universe. But the, the bottom line there is that we really are very small, insignificant specks there. And yet, and yet, as the psalmist has figured it out a long time ago already, when we consider the heavens, and yet, who is man that you're mindful of him, son of man that you care for him? And he does. And this is the other part of God, the amazingness. And then at the same time, caring for the individual. So I feel that off and over to you. Thank you, Betty. I feel like I need to pause for a little bit that we can just take in what, what was just being said. Well, the Father, his, his personality in a nutshell is love, isn't it? His whole being is, is love. Whoever does not love does not know God. 
because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is our loving father. God the Father is a supreme being in whom we believe and whom we worship and to whom we pray. He is the ultimate creator, ruler, preserver of all things. He is perfect, has all power and knows all things. It's such a humbling experience, even as I'm saying that. Standing here with the small words of a small person on a small planet trying to describe somebody as Petri said, that God is above the universe and outside of the universe because he is just so big. He's, yeah, the universe is a small little thing for him. Um, but in all of his different aspects, I think for me personally, God being my father has been the biggest impact on my life. You know, as you heard, you know, I, my father was a missionary and so he actually was quite distant to me because he was so busy with the mission work. And um, it, it caused a, a loneliness and a pain in my heart. And then later when I learned that my Heavenly Father is always available and always interested. And engaging. Mm -hmm. And always thinking of my best. That just really changed my life. I knew I was not alone. Um, but really impacted my life so much that I wanted to serve him wholeheartedly. And you know in your youth when you go to all these conferences where they ask you to dedicate your life, all those of you who want to dedicate your lives come up front, you know, I've done that dozens of times. <laughs> and, uh, and now when I've been doing this walking and um, preparing the sermons, I've said, okay God, I, I said yes just because I love you, but, but this, is, it, this is hard. Um, it's hard to to be in this position, um, and yet it gives me great joy once I'm up here, as I said last time. Um, and just going back to the Father heart of God, how that so spoke to me is that when you look at Jesus, he knew the Father so well, and he gave us many glimpses in how he spoke about the Father, like he. He was always trusting and loving God, and he, Jesus spent a lot of time speaking alone with God, and he asked him for things, and sometimes he asked God for things out loud so that people could hear around him how he spoke with the Father and how he trusted God, that God would give him what he asked for. And of course, the best story probably in the Bible that we all know is the prodigal son, thinking of how the son took his inheritance and just splurged it all and then came back crawling, and how when he was still Far away the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him, as the Bible describes. So the father and our father rejoices in his children and no matter what we've done he wants us to come to him. And I like the description in Exodus 34 verse 6 and 7 where he, God describes himself and he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So now I'm thinking, if, if God is such a magnificent and amazingly powerful God, 
Why should he tell us, as I said, to little tiny people on a little planet far, far away? Why would he tell us so much about his nature and his personality and his passion for us? Is it not exactly because he wants to be known by us? Just like he knows us. He's waiting with his arms open wide. Please come, search, look for me. He's promised. If you look for me, you will find me. And so I still remember from a Bible study that I did some years back, where we had to memorize five statements of faith. And um, we were to memorize those so that we would know to draw strength from them when, when the time came for challenges and tests. And this is, um, this is what they are. I wonder if we can read them out loud together. God is who he says he is. God can do what he says he can do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ. God's word is alive and active in me. So these are the kind of sta statements that we need to remember when difficult times come. Because often what happens when difficult things happen is that we immediately turn to God like, why did this happen? Why did you, how, how can a loving God do this? But instead, if we turn to these kind of statements and remind ourselves, he's all-knowing, he's long-suffering, he's loving, he's kind, he's perfect, just forgiving, he's omnipresent. So the new lens to look through in times of trouble is because I know that this is what God is like, this is God's nature, how do I face this challenge in my life, knowing that God is a good, good father? So I was reminded of these statements of faith uh, just literally before I went on the hike, and, um, and it happened that I heard about a terrible uh, abuse that a dear friend had experienced. And, and when, when I saw this rock formation that's in the next slide on the hike, I, um, I was struck. Someone beside me uh, said that, that sometimes things need to be blasted away in life for beauty to come out. And what had happened here is they called this the Namakwaland necklace. And when they had been building a road to the farm, they had to blow the rock on the face. And then this came out. And, um, and somehow I just felt like it was a message to me as I was grappling with this, this painful um, knowledge of what had happened to this friend. And um, my, my first thought was I, was I felt like I was going to crumble. I, of course, sent a message to my life group, please pray, I'm in pain. And, and then I thought, what is it? I'm talking and preaching, preparing a preach about God's sovereignty, about his goodness. So what do I do in this situation? And um, I recited the fact that I know God is who he says who he is. And I know I am who he says I am. And I know that God can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So that's what I, did. I held on to. And when I saw this picture, I thought this is what God can do, that ugly things can turn into beautiful things. And um, therefore, 
the lessons that we can learn in those difficult situations is what is it what do you want me to do lord i do not want to be alone in this i don't want to turn my back to you lord he calls us to have faith and to respond through the lens of faith and knowing that he is a wonderful and loving god god and father no matter what happens and he wants to be there with us in our pain so the fact that we've been told that um, this is this is what the truth of life is that tough stuff happens um, what is God's response to us when bad things happen and I don't want to say that it's wrong when bad things happen and you feel doubtful or you get angry at God all of that he can handle our doubts and our fears and our pain and our um, angry outbursts, but I think he would like us to remember in those times that he is the God of abounding love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands, he's faithful, and then how do I respond in the middle of painful news? The hope that sprung in my heart in the midst of the painful knowledge of the views that have happened um, sprung in my heart. I think what also happened to me through looking through the lens of God is a good God is that I was able to cast my care on Jesus. He can carry our burdens much better than we can. And then I can pray with more trust. I can give it over to God in a way that he is taking control and I'm not in control. So as one's soul heals and the pain still throbs, one knows that God is the one who is faithful. He is the one who has promised to not give us more than we can carry. John 16:33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Therefore, I decide that no matter what, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, Thank you that we can come before you and we can call you Father. Lord, am I mindful of the fact that life does give us bumps and bruises and calluses and I just want to ask Lord that in this moment if there's things that we are holding against you Lord, if we have feelings of disappointment or a sense of numbness or indifference. Lord, that you come, meet us in those places. Lord, help us give those feelings and thoughts to you. Help us <clears throat> become aware of what it is that's happening in our hearts. <clears throat> Lord, you 
how the Father who opens his arms wide for us, Lord, no matter what. And we come before you, Lord. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and cleanse us, to revive us, to restore us. Lord, that the beauty of the necklace would adorn our lives, Lord, that we would see that, yes, there has been blasts, but you have brought beauty to ashes. Lord, we ask that those places that are painful in our lives, that you come, touch us, touch those spots, Lord, those places where we are feeling hopeless, where we are feeling lonely, or where we are feeling we have no answers, Lord. We ask you and we invite you to come. Come, Lord Jesus. You are our healer. You are our savior. Lord, we love you, we bless you. We hang on to the truth that you are a good, good father. We thank you that you are the almighty God who takes interest in us, in our little details of our lives. You take interest in those. So we lay it all before you, Lord, and we ask, please, just pick us up into your arms, Lord, and help us hear your heartbeat. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.